Hey there all you creeps, back with another episode. And here we are again, looking at some DC anthologies. And this is a big one. Uh, this is uh, House of Secrets 92, first appearance of Swamp Thing. I'm going to be covering this one with my buddy Ed Moore. We're going to go over that story and the other one that's in this book as well. Uh, some really good stuff in here, uh, aside of the uh, Swamp Thing story as well, obviously. Can't go wrong with Len Wein and Bernie Wrights, and so... Stay tuned, and I'll be right back in a minute after this quick break. Very interesting, Dr. Holland. On your feet. Who are you? Interesting. Now, I know I haven't seen anything like uh, this before. What the hell do you want? I represent a certain party that's uh, interested in your formula. Give an arm and a leg for it. Your arm and leg, if necessary. Get out of my lap! Get off! Alex! What's the holdup? He's being difficult. No, Ritter. Not you. No, Dr. Holland. Not Ritter. Ritter? Poor fellow. He's long dead. You have heard of, but never seen me. So I will introduce myself. My name is Arke. Linda. Come here. Yeah. Leave her alone. Thank you. All materials pertaining to the substance now, or she dies. What sort of uh, rejuvenation will you be able to perform on her then? Don't, Alec. It's all right. The actual solution as well. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Bronze Age of Horror Comics. And this is going to be a big one. So for the second time uh, in a recording week, not actually in a week week, but in a recording week, uh, I am talking about a very seminal comic book. I actually just talked to a friend about a, another DC comic that, uh, shamefully, I hadn't read until recently and now talked about. And that is uh, Flash of Two Worlds, you know, big time story there. And then. This is a big-time story here as well, as I'm welcoming my friend uh, Ed Moore to talk with me about some more uh, DC anthology. How are you, man? I'm doing quite well, Billy. Uh, Flash of Two Worlds, yeah, that's that's a pretty big one as DC Comics goes, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I honestly, I I'll, it was a story I heard so much about, and I thought, I've got to read it, I've got to read it, I've got to read it, and then it came to me, and I'm like... I don't think I own this in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> so I thought, I got to find a copy of this. And a couple of years ago, DC put out a... It's a thin hardcover, but it's a very nice hardcover. It's just Flash of Two Worlds Deluxe Edition. And there's, you know, Flash 123 in there, plus three or four more comics, maybe even four or five more comics that are, you know, 
the two, uh, the Flash of Earth 1 and the Flash of Earth 2 teaming up. And it's a really, really great hardcover. I don't think I paid more than like 15 or 20 bucks for it. It's oh, really nice. nice. Yeah, yeah, really good stuff. So I thought, um, okay, I've had this for a while now. I got to talk about this because I need to read it, need to talk about it, and it's a great story. <laughs> but oh, right. uh, yeah, you and I are going to talk about uh, something horror related, but uh, to me, uh, very seminal as well. And that is House of Secrets 92. So for anyone that doesn't uh, know out there, which I'm sure most do, but if you do not, this is the first appearance of the Swamp Thing in DC Comics, correct? Yes. Yes. As far as I know, and I think everybody agrees that, yeah, this is the first place. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the Swamp Thing over the years. So if you're a, a reader of newer, more newer comics for the most part, you know, Swamp Thing has gone through, you know, a lot of different uh you know, he's he's worn a lot of different uh, uh, hats over the years. But uh, in this one, this is, you know, this is the first one. So uh, artwork wise, it's Bernie Wrightson, who you can't go wrong with Bernie Wrightson. But I don't know if a lot of people would recognize Swamp Thing from this cover or this story here uh, if they saw it and they're a newer fan. Probably not. I I don't know really off the top of my head. And, and I shouldn't have to rely on the top of my head because it's bald and it doesn't contain much at this point in my life but mm-hmm. um i i don't think there are any other stories with this human uh, alter ego for the swamp thing either I, I think this is the only place that uh this this particular gentleman's name is dropped as as the uh involved in the origin of the swamp thing itself yeah i think they kind of uh once maybe they saw this issue sold uh, pretty good you know, they uh, not too long later, I don't know if it was a few months or something like that. They they came out with, uh, you know, a Swamp Thing ongoing, uh, which is great. And I really like that stuff, too. And it's the same creators on that for the first 10 issues. And, um, you know, it's just really, really good stuff. But I think they kind of tweaked the origin a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. And some of this stuff fell by the wayside, which, you know, it's neither here nor there. It's, you know, water, you know, under the bridge or whatever, over the dam at this point. It doesn't really matter. But we're going to talk about this uh, this book, uh, this House of Secrets 92. And obviously, the, the the big draw here is, you know, Swamp Thing. Even though there's, uh, you know, a couple other stories in here, three more stories in here, to be exact, that are uh, pretty good, too. So we're definitely going to give them their due. But, you know, we definitely want to focus on uh, this uh, lead story here. And Wow. How about this cover? It's just, you know, Bernie Wrightson, it's, you know, he's the man, uh, but wow, great cover. Yeah, this is, this is really good. You've got the, you know, the, the very beautiful, shall we say, maiden on, on one half. And on the other half, you have this, this thing. Um, is it looking what you can't really tell? Cause you can't see the bottom, but it, it, it almost looks like maybe it's standing, looking through an opened window, or it could be that he's walking in an open door. Now, if she's in front of her mirror getting ready to go to bed, I would hope she's not doing it in front of an open doorway. So I'll, in, in, in my uh, mind's eye, I'll say that she had her window open and he's walked up to the edge of the house and he's looking through an open window. That, that would kind of make more sense. But who knows? I wasn't there. And like we were joking before, uh, they didn't ask me. So, <laughs> Yeah, this is a great cover. I mean, like you said, the, the swamp thing, the monsters in the background there and in the foreground, uh, very attractive lady, and you know, there's you, there's a bit of a story behind this. I mean, back in the '70s, a lot of these artists and writers, they used to have apartments together. They pretty much all lived in a New York City area, so they hung out and stuff like that. And there was a lot of them hanging out together back then. And you know, the the guys behind this one, Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson, they used to hang out with 
Walt Simonson, and back then was Louise Jones, who became mm-hmm. Louise Simonson, and that's who the uh, lady on the cover here is modeled uh, off of. Uh, right. Uh, and, yeah, and you see old pictures, and that it, it is a pretty good rendering. <laughs> yeah, if if you've ever seen this cover, and then you see a picture of it, you're like, "Hey, is that?" And yes, the the answer is yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And a really cool logo at the top. There's no escape from the House of Secrets. It's like a green background and purple lettering, and there's a purple bat. That says DC House of Secrets in the left. Oh man, really, really, really good cover. Yeah, the 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 choice of the colors kind of adds to the uh, eeriness. I think it's you know the the that shade of green and that shade of purple go with, even though they're they're much more saturated than the rest of the cover in those bright colors. But it still is kind of a uh, an eerie or, or you know mystical kind of feel to the logo too. Hmm. Yep. Absolutely. So. You get into this first story here, man. You just flip that opening page and that next story. Wow. We see Cain and Abel in the uh, cemetery here that's in between their uh, their two uh, houses. And it is incredible. Wow. What a picture that is, huh? Yeah, de- definitely a graveyard. I, there's no doubt about that. Cain and Abel, I think, are uh, really well rendered, too. I, I think Cain is is a little bit... Uh, to my eye, anyways, he, he's rendered a little bit more sharply, I think, than Abel is. Abel is a bit uh, farther back in the background. Kane is really in the foreground on the right-hand side of this uh, mm-hmm. full-page spread. So, But yeah, the, the both of them, excellent facial features. Uh, there, there's no ambiguity about anything that you're seeing here uh, by way of rights. And it, it's all very obvious what you're looking at, and you don't have to spend any time thinking uh, you can spend time on just absorbing what it is they're telling you via the art. And then, of course, this rather large introductory narration here that we have, too, takes up eh, a little bit of brain space. But, yeah, this um, this is cool enough, I think, to be a, a poster. If you could get rid of the, the narration here and, and fill in the rest of that corner of the picture, this full page spread would be an awesome poster. Yeah, and you you'll get that a lot with House of Secrets and House of Mystery, where you flip that, you know, cover over, and they'll have a, a page that's just you know Bernie Wrightson or Alfredo Alcala or somebody like that, just one of these top notch artists, and they just oh do an incredible job with them. I like you said, they could actually make a book of just all of those pages, and I would buy it. You know what I mean? Oh, <laughs> uh, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hard, hardcover edition or something, just make all of those. Yeah, all uh, the. You know, full page spreads he did or art or covers or just put all of that together in a book. Yeah. That, that would sell. There's, there's other people that would eat up that rights and art as well. Yeah. There's a market for that for sure. (laughs) So, but yeah, so then we, you know, dive right in here to this very first story and it's called Swamp Thing, eight pages, uh, Len Wein uh, writer, Bernie writes an art and yeah, really, really good stuff here. And uh, we're going to jump right into this one. And this is uh, like I said, from uh, 1971, and it says uh, uh, the DC uh, fandom website has a synopsis. It says sometime in the last century, Alex Olson and Damian Ridge had been best friends. However, they both vied for the affections of a woman named Linda. Linda eventually married Alex and Damian had to endure his heartache in the form of the supportive friend. But his desire for Linda overrode the bonds of friendship and he conspired to eliminate Alex. He sabotaged the equipment in Alex's lab, causing an explosion that killed him, keeping the knowledge hidden from Linda Damien buried Alex's body in the swamp. Damien eventually married the widow Olson, and they lived together in an old Victorian plantation house. But Linda never recovered from Alex's death. As months passed, Damien began to suspect that Linda might soon learn the truth, so he prepared to kill her. 
but Alex had been resurrected as a swamp thing and broke into the house and killed Damien. Linda fled from the creature in horror, never realizing that the beast who saved her was her beloved Alex. So, you know, some uh, some things that, uh, you know, carried through uh, with, with the Swamp Thing uh, story and mythos, you know, down the road as well. And then obviously the names are a little different, you know, uh, as we went on there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, great stuff here. I mean, even if this was just illustrations by Wrightson, it's just fantastic. But, you know, don't, you know, sell Len Wein short here. He does a good job crafting this eight little little eight page story here, does he not? Absolutely he does. Now let me let me ask a question before we mm-hmm. move too far. Um the name of the book is House of Secrets. Um is there any reason to believe uh that this gentleman and the widow lived in the House of Secrets? Mm. I mean we we're that that's not the intent at all, right? Because I no. I didn't see that anywhere. But I, I just want to make sure that I'm not, I'm not just a goober and didn't catch it. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I okay, mean, especially when they show pictures of it, it certainly doesn't look like it. Right. Okay. So it, basically, this is just a tale being told by presumably, well, not presumably. I guess it's Abel because the the very first narration box is attributed to him. So it's it's a story he's telling. Okay. So it's just a tale. It's not actually connected to the house. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, when you see that very first page where it has the Swamp Thing logo and everything there, and he's looking up at a house, it does look like an old kind of Victorian-style uh, home, similar. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it could be. But like you said, in, in other renderings of the the front of the house, the front elevation and things when it appears, it's, it's different enough, I guess, that mm-hmm. no, you're not supposed to think this is the same house as House of Secrets. So, okay. Yeah, but yeah, great, great, great stuff here. I mean, it's a really good story, and obviously they didn't think this story was you know going anywhere <laughs> other than in this issue, but like, wow, to think what this story spawned is just amazing. Oh, spawn. Oh, I get it. I see what you did there. <laughs> but yeah, you're you're right. It, it definitely, on, on the one hand, you know, if, if, if you have no knowledge of Swamp Thing, which of course it's hard for us to do at this point in comic book history but mm-hmm. th- this does come across on one level as just another attempt at a, uh, at a at a horror story in in one of these anthology books you know i can see that that was what they intended um mm-hmm. now fortunately i guess in a lot of ways it turned out to be much more than what they intended and so that's what leads us where we are now with the character today mm-hmm. yeah and i do really enjoy stories like this where you know it's a revenge story a love story there's all sorts of things at play here but i think one of the things that does make this story that you know ween wrote here really i don't know if powerful is the word uh poignant maybe i'm not sure what word to use but i I do enjoy it a lot more just simply because this is basically a real life situation being put down on paper here because we do know this these kinds of things have happened do happen and will continue to happen until the end of time Sure, sure. Yeah, it definitely uh, is is in the human condition and someone that read this, no matter when they have picked this up and read it, they are one of these people. Mm-hmm. Either either yeah. the, the, the swamp thing, uh, the widow woman or her new uh, man that got married. They're, they're in this story. And so that, you know, that definitely is different than, say, you know, I don't know, a, a spooky story about trying to move a haunted house and the haunted house chases after you or something like that. You know, it's mm-hmm. 
I, I question if anybody has ever actually had that happen. I, I won't say it's not <laughs> possible, but, you know, whereas this, yeah, this is a, a, a unrequited love triangle. And so, yeah, it's, it's much more um, uh, possible uh, that, that somebody has encountered this in their real life for sure. Yeah, and I do like, too, how, you know, they do uh, wean and rights and do have, you know, Swamp Thing front and center on the first page there mm-hmm. with, with a lot of, you know, uh, dialogue and, you know, how he's, you know, it's cold and it's looking at this house and uh, a stately sanctuary full of bright lights, et cetera, et cetera. The narration is great, but then you turn that page and page two, page three, page four, we do get one more panel, you know, shot of a very sad looking um swamp thing as he's out there and it looks like in the pouring rain but again <laughs> then page five nothing it's just you know uh linda and uh and james or i'm sorry not james uh uh damien right it, it, all we see is them it's just them going back and forth or her memory going back to alex and thinking about him but we do see on page six you know an, an angry eye as you know, this creepy scene unfolds where, like, you, you know, we were saying in the synopsis, it said that, you know, this guy, Damien, he thinks that, you know, Linda might figure out what happened. So he's going to kill her, too, it, which is, drives me nuts because I'm thinking, isn't that why you killed her husband? Because you wanted her? Like, and now you're going to kill her? Like, holy crap, dude. He's got a syringe right next to her neck. It's a really scary looking panel. Yeah, yeah. You, you definitely can tell that um, what he's up to is, as they say, no good. Mm-hmm. And there's a swamp thing looking in like, you know, you can tell his his face has gone from sadness to anger when he sees that. And then crash, he comes smashing right through the, uh, you know, the doorway there and, you know, grabs a hold of him, drops the needle and just, you know, breaks his neck right there on the spot. Oh, it's crazy. Uh, th- this whole story, I would love to be able to see this artwork without the narration to see mm. if just the art itself can carry the story in the same way that the art and narration did. Um, that first page, the uh, four panels where he is wandering up to the house, mm-hmm. I think without a, a shadow of a doubt, I would have gotten the same feeling from at least that page without the narration that I did with the narration, just the, the expression of, of the artwork itself was enough. Now, when, when you get deeper into the story and the love triangle aspects, you know, I can see, yeah, you've got to, because just one, uh, one static panel of art isn't going to give you necessarily all of that background information. So, Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, I would love to see this in a format where I could just turn the page and look at the art and see if, if, I could put the story together, although now, uh, of course, I'm spoiled because I've seen both of them together. So I, I have a reference, but um, I, I bet that um, Wrightson carried the story pretty well just by the art itself. Yeah, it would be nice to see even the original art, too, where it's just the pencils and inks without anything. Oh, man. Yeah, I would. Oh, just the pencil. Yeah, I would love that black and white line art. Oh, my goodness. In a nice uh, 11 by 17 format, maybe a hardback. Anybody listening, if that's out there? <laughs> yeah, that would be killer. Yeah, great stuff. And then we do get the, you know, the part where Alex, as the monster now, is like, you know, putting his hands out and he has this really solemn and sor- sorrowful look on his face towards her. Yeah. And just, just screams at him because of the way he looks. And, you know, he kind of turns and walks away and she does look like she's a little sympathetic towards him there, but Oh yeah, that looks, that's those panels, in that very last page story page. It's just, 
you know, so sad. And then walking out there into the swamp, into the water with that tree there and the moon in the background. Oh, it's incredible. But not to slight Wayne, get, get, get a load of this. This is, this is killer. On the one panel, I won't tell you the picture, but this is part of the narration. This is about half of it. Of course, not you, Billy, but you folks listening. But once, excuse me, but what once had been my vocal cords have been silent too long. I cannot make a sound. Oh, that that is just right there. You're starting to definitely identify I was anyways, with the anguish that he's going through because he's trying to talk to her, but physically now he just, he can't even talk to her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at that point in the story, basically you now know that all hope is gone. It's lost forever. And the swamp thing story-wise, but also in the art basically is now just turning away and, and, swamping off into the swamp as this monster uh dejected never to never to return to any aspect of his life again but just you know you you can kind of see that that's where things are going but to me those three lines of text right there and you're like oh man that poor guy Mm, yeah it's really sad and you know, don't worry, uh, faithful listeners. You know, there'll be another girl called Abby that'll come along down the road and she'll make Swamp Thing happy. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, Sw- Swampy recovers from this this first uh, crushing of his heart. Well, or what would be a heart if he had one. But yeah, that, that's a whole nother part of the story. Yeah. And this has been reprinted a uh, hundred times. You, you oh, can okay. find this uh, in lots of different trades. They've had the single issue reprints where they were like, you know, a dollar or two, whatever. I think they just had one not more than two or three years ago they just had one come out because i know i grabbed it before i bought this uh omnibus edition that i'm reading from now i bought that single issue uh reprint uh, but uh, but of course uh i won't speak for billy but i want to encourage everyone to spend the three and four digits to get a copy of the original because it's what you deserve to own <laughs> the original you should get that absolutely yeah and i mean hey if you want to get it and send it to somebody that you like that you know is a podcaster we're, we're we'll send you our address you know I'm I, absolutely saying. i i have no problem <laughs> using bags and boards on my comics you know so i'll, mm-hmm. I'll do that to to protect i've got plenty of space in my boxes and in my comic book room i promise i will not slab the book so it, it'll go to I, a good home <laughs> absolutely it will it'll be well taken care of fed and watered uh, all of that stuff yes so, you know, it's not easy following that story, especially now with the yeah. history of Swamp Thing. Um, back then, it was probably easier to turn the page and go to the next story. But uh, this next one, you know, these next few stories, you know, you and I talked before we start recording. This book's actually a pretty good book overall, even though mm-hmm. that one leads and it's, you know, probably the best. And it's obviously the one that has the most longevity. But, you know, there's still some other good stuff in here. And this uh, this second one is uh, pretty cool. It's called After I Die. And it's a story idea by Jack Kirby. And I think Mark Evanier, his uh, longtime buddy there, uh, might have uh, been part of the collaborative process here with the script or something like that as well. There's uh, some notations about that. And then uh, the art is by Bill Drought. Now, I really enjoy this one, uh, and I love Kirby. So, you know, I might think it's better than it really is, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. You're 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 more than entitled to do that when it yeah. comes to Kirby. Absolutely. Everybody can draw their own conclusion. <laughs> but yep. uh, yeah, like I said, uh, this was after I die and it's uh, a wealthy man named Maxwell James is obsessed with what happens after death. His obsession only grows stronger when he arrives at his wife's deathbed 
and realizes that she sees something utterly horrifying in her final moments. After his wife's death, Maxwell makes increasingly callous attempts to pursue this mystery, <laughs> even, even paying yeah. to see a critically injured child <sighs> and angrily stomping out when the child makes a full recovery. Finally, Maxwell loses his patience and attempts to kill his wife's brother-in-law, Hal, with a gun. In the ensuing struggle, Maxwell is fatally shot and begs Hal to look into his eyes. As Hal obeys, he sees the reflection of the terror beyond death in Maxwell's eyes and is driven to permanent insanity. So, yeah, I think it's a pretty cool little uh, Kirby story here. You know, he, he cranked out so many stories that isn't even funny with ideas and just obviously artwork. But, yeah, what'd you think of this one? The, the concept of um, how l looking into someone's eyes as they die and, and causing that person to go insane. I, I've never seen that in a story before. Um, I've, I've seen science fiction stories where people have attempted to get the eyeball removed from someone because they could then like hook it up to a machine and see what they saw at the end. But, mm -hmm. but this, as far as gen actually looking into someone's eyes as they die and seeing I guess reflected what they see. I've I've never heard of that, and I, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, enough that I was like, "Well, yeah, I wonder what they did see." But you know, I'm, I'm not going to risk going crazy to find out. But you know, it did did pique a little bit of uh, curiosity in me. Yeah, it's a cool little story. It reminded me of, I think it was was it late Golden Age or early Silver Age when Kirby did those, uh, I think it had to be late Golden Age. Cause I think he was still working with Joe Simon at the time when he did that black magic title. Uh, yeah. Through prize comics, I think. Yeah. I think that was late forties. Wasn't it or early fifties? I, I, I think in the fifties, uh, right around the time that uh, he was doing, or maybe had just finished, um, their, their collaboration had finished on captain America. I think they they owned prize comics and they did, you know, I think there was a romance book in there and yeah. that that horror book. And, and maybe maybe Captain America was part of prize then, too. I don't I don't think so, but I couldn't swear to it. But, yeah, I believe it was prize comics that they owned at the time that they did that black magic book. Yeah, this reminds me of a story from that. They, they did a lot of stories like this in the, that title, you know, where it was something like this. But, man, this uh, Hal. And uh, the 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 uh, synopsis on DC Phantom says brother-in-law, but it's not. It's uh, the, his his brother-in-law, so his wife's brother. Man, right. is he a jackass? <laughs> what a uh, jerk. Yes, yeah, and and, he, and they they did a really good job in a very short period of time uh, getting that point across to you in the story for sure. Yeah, and I guess they had been taking care of him financially for quite some time, and uh, you know, uh, she uh, the on her deathbed, she's like, "Oh, take care of Hal, take care of Hal." Mm -hmm. And Maxwell is like, yeah, screw Hal. He's a jerk. We've been, you know, uh, feeding him for years just because he's too lazy to get a job and this and that. <laughs> I guess uh, Hal has a conversation with the doctor because uh, Maxwell was going to cut him off and be like, you're not getting any more money for me, pal. But uh, Hal says, hey, uh, the doctor told me on my uh, sister's deathbed, she told you to take care of me. It's, mm -hmm. in her, it's in her will, so you have to do it. So he's really pissed off. I like that. That's a great part of the story. Yep. Yeah. And then I was wondering, too. So, you know, it shows Maxwell at his work and he has a, a young, blonde haired, good looking uh, secretary here. And at first I'm just thinking, oh, he's you know, there's nothing going on here. And it's just, you know, his secretary. But 
<clears throat> he goes to see this young boy in the hospital that he's been, you know, helping the family out financially so he can just show up at the last moment when he's getting ready to die so we can try to figure out what's going on you know, with death. And I'm like, dude, what is wrong with you? Yeah, that, yeah. Mm, and then the kid dies and he's pissed off that the kid's dead. Or I'm sorry, no. No, he, he said he gets better. He improves. Right, yeah, he recovers. And he's like, oh, there goes all my money and my chance too. And you don't really know what he's about, but you know that he is genuinely, he, he's disappointed to the fact that he gets angry that the kid mm -hmm. got better. Yeah, it's funny. He says to the doctor, what? Is this some joke? You told me he was dying on the verge of death. And the doctor says, but I thought this good news would please you. And he well, goes, good news. It couldn't be worse. <laughs> I'm like, wow. <laughs> bad look, dog. Bad look. <laughs> yeah. And then he goes out to his car and the secretary's in the car with him. Uh, that's kind of weird, isn't it? Or is that just me? Well, I, I can see it both ways. I mean, yes, you know, you think that, at, at, particularly at this time, that would be, they're, they're trying to tell you something with that. Mm -hmm. But I I guess I could imagine that if, if she is uh, partially even invested in what he has been doing for this boy, she would accompany him as far as she could in finding out news about the boy. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I could see that she went with him and he told her, no, you wait here because he's going to, you know, whatever, when the kid dies. And so then he comes back and she's anxious for news. I, I could kind of see that being just uh, general uh, concern or, or nicety from her because she's aware of how much time and effort he's put into what she thought was helping the boy. So I, I could see that. But, yeah, you're right. It's like. You, you open the door of his limo here with the with the doorman, and she's sitting in there waiting for him. And it's like, uh, okay, yeah. I'm just like, is he shagging his secretary? Uh, here? Yeah, What's going on? Uh, it could be, <laughs> maybe not. And honestly, at this at this point in time, I wouldn't put that point. Uh, 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 wouldn't be surprised if Kirby wasn't trying to make that point because he has written things like that in other books that he that he's written. So it's like, well, he could this one. I don't know. And, and either way, I don't think it really is a really a part of this story, but yeah, mm -hmm. you're right. It, it could be something that he just kind of slipped in there to make you think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then he has his driver stop in front of this how guy's apartment. And it looks like a real rat hole too. And he goes blasting in there and she comes with him in there too. I'm just like, uh, this yeah, is, this is secretary. What's going on here? Why she, she care what's going on? But he goes in there and tells him off and you know, he's going to, you know, he, what does he say? I found good reason to make you pay for all the years I've subsidized you and the guy and houses goody for you. Bleeding heart. Now clear out of my apartment and send me a bill. And he says, no, you shiftless tramp. I'm collecting right now. And he whips out a pistol and tries to shoot him, but he misses. And they get into a scuffle, and the gun goes off and kills Maxwell. And he's on the ground. And <laughs> the secretary, Maxwell, I'm sorry, Maxwell's on the ground. And Hal says, Maxwell shot. I can't call an ambulance because my phone's been disconnected. Right. <laughs> Dead beat. Out, there we go. I'll, I'll find one. I'll be right back. And this is the best part of the story where he's like, Hal, I'm dying. I know. I know. I can see it. He's like, easy, Maxwell. This is no time to start raving about your pet theory. And he goes, it's no theory now. Come closer, Hal. Look into my eyes as I describe it. And he looks into his eyes and he just flips out and goes absolutely crazy that the cops and, you know, the, the white suits are here and all. And they're putting a straitjacket on him, going nuts. 
Yeah, couldn't couldn't we have seen like a panel of an eyeball with some kind of figure in? I mean, uh, mm-hmm. I, I was I was a little disappointed that we still have absolutely no idea of what it is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and then Abel at the very end says, even if Hal Grundy is granted a moment of sanity, would it be wise to listen to what lies beyond the grasp of life? Perhaps some mysteries are better left unsolved. <laughs> there you go. An unsolved mystery. Yes. Well, where's Robert Stack when you need him, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, pretty good story. It was a lot of fun. And, of course, you know, Kirby. So, you know, I'm liking it. I got no problem with uh, the Kirby art here. You know, loving it. Yeah, loving it. I, I agree completely. So, well, this one, I love this next one. This next one, I actually might like this one slightly better than this one. Thing story. Okay, okay. This this one's wild. It's called It's Better to Give. Um, and this is one by uh, Mary Screens wrote it, who was, you know, a collaborator sometimes of uh, Steve Gerber's, that she didn't get credit sometimes. I don't know why, if it was because she was a woman or what the problem is, but there were some times where she wrote stories and there was a pseudonym used. And in this one, it's Virgil North. And and you know I, I recently I have gotten uh, into a lot of of history of comics and uh, over over time, and starting of course way way back, there is always this aspect of female creators having to use pseudonyms. Now not all the time, and even those that do, they didn't do it all the time. But it seems really common that unfortunately um, after the fact. A lot of of the current people that wanted to know about these things had to do a lot of research to dig out these pseudonyms to then find out that these were women that were writing or drawing these these books. And and that's that is just a a total and complete shame uh, Mm -hmm. that they they and they did. They're not going to get the credit they deserve because, well, nobody knows. Yeah, it's just weird. I mean, I'm thinking this was 1971. It wasn't 1941. Exactly. Yeah. What? I don't know. Maybe now, maybe she had, which a lot of times this is why the men did this. Maybe she had a contract exclusively somewhere else. And so it couldn't be known that she was doing other work. I thought I had read somewhere and this may be on. She frequents the Steve Gerber group on Facebook. Oh, cool. Yeah, I've seen her comment there many times, and people have asked her a lot of questions about Steve and even about her work. And I thought she even referenced some of these stories and said that, you know, she wasn't told her name wasn't going to be used. Like, she would get the book and be like, what the heck? And they were just like, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yes. Kind of like, yeah, sorry, honey. But, you know, we didn't know if it would sell with a woman's name on it, so we changed it to a guy's name. Oh, that is— That is just wrong. Okay. Yeah, I'd be pissed about that if I were— Oh, yeah, no doubt. No yeah, but, but then, you know, honestly, then what do you do? Do you yeah. swear that you're never going to do it again? Well, no, because this is ultimately what they want to be doing. Yeah. And they're doing it. You know, that's one part of the battle. And then, of course, the actual credit is the other part of the battle. My question is, because of that, did that affect the money that she got for this? Well, yeah, and that's what I think, too. I mean, obviously, we no. know you didn't get any kind of like you know, money for creating these characters and stuff like that. And even back in the early seventies, it wasn't like you were going to get money when stuff got reprinted either. I don't think that came until late seventies or early eighties when DC would do that. But yeah, it just kind of sucks that you're not even getting the credit you deserve. So, you know, if you're, you know, none the wiser and you're picking up these books and you see that name, you're thinking, huh, wonder who that was. And you might just kind of blow it off and you're never going to know that she's the one that wrote that story. It sucks. 
And if you really want a hoser, every time she turns something in, you use a different pseudonym. Yeah. And then uh, those of us reading it will never realize that this is the same person, you know, that I could have followed through all of these books because they're under 20 different names. Yeah. And I just did look into the uh, uh, the beginning of this uh, omnibus edition and it actually does give her credit, which is good. Yeah. It says written by Mary Screens and it has in parentheses as Virgil North. So that's kind of that's at least she got credit there. Right. At least it was found out that that is what happened to her. You know, the reasons, whatever, another story. But, yeah, that's good that she did. Uh, and and actually in an official printing by D.C., she got the credit she deserved. Yeah. And this one has artwork by uh, Alan Weiss and Tony DiZaniga, who are both brilliant artists that I love. I love oh, both absolutely. of those guys. So. Yeah. Um, all right. So, yeah, like I said, this one's called It's Better to Give. So uh, this uh, a homeless man encounters a crying baby warlock in the town dump who is upset that he has broken his balloon. The homeless man remembers that he's got a dime on him. And so he gives it to the kid and tells him to get another balloon. The kid thanks him and tells him that he'll pay him back someday. The homeless man notices dimes start falling uh, from the nozzle of an abandoned bathtub and can't believe his good fortune. He gathers them up and goes into town to eat at a fancy restaurant, donate to the Salvation Army, and buy new clothes. A criminal observes that the man has run into some money and follows him back to the dump to relieve him of it. The criminal kills the homeless man, and the little boy is angry. He causes his new balloon to grow so large that it engulfs the killer. Then he approaches the balloon with a large pin. (laughs) I love this story. This very much reminded me of like an EC story, don't you think? Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah, what did you think about this one? I, I enjoyed it. Uh, it was it was light uh, up until the end, and then it got like, shall we say, deadly serious? Uh, but, Mor- yeah, morbid. <laughs> yeah, it, but yeah, it was it was fun. Um, re- re- the very first panel I, I particularly enjoyed because that is where we see uh, the first image of smiling sam and mm-hmm. and, and we, we you know we we start forming our own opinions in our head but of course my opinion well not of course but my opinion started by looking at the bottom of his shoes both of them have holes in them that's mm-hmm. how poor the mm-hmm. so I, I i really enjoyed that you know right off the bat weiss and dizuniga told us this is the dude, and and this is you know we're we're gonna go from here. But his clothes look okay, you know he's got a tie, he's got kind of a floppy hat, you know you can't really tell too much from that. But looking at the bottom of his shoes, that both have holes in the in the uh, the soles of his of his shoes, you can tell. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's pretty poor because not only can he not fix one, but both of them are worn through. So d- dude is dude is in a bad way. Yeah, he's not in good shape, but. Again, he's a super nice guy. And the last, you know, couple of cents he has to his name, he gives it his kid, you know, and the kid actually, there's no, uh, the kid's in pretty good uh, shape here. He's got some, you know, nicer clothes on and shoes and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So he could probably go get a dime for mom or dad, but this guy gives it to him anyway. And I thought that was pretty cool. And I do like how there is no reason for you to believe at the beginning of this story that there's anything up with this kid. You just think he's just a regular kid. I do like how they, you know, at the end here, <laughs> you obviously know something's up with this kid. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When, when you first see him, he, he's just a kid. Now, you know, you might, you might ask, well, why is he walking around in the junkyard? But uh, that's like one of the kind of things that I've 
talked about in other stories that it's like, well, you know, maybe one part of your brain says that, but the rest of your brain says, just be quiet and read the story. And so, you know, you kind of gloss over that. But yeah, you certainly don't know anything about the kid like that summation that you read tells about the kid at this point. You, mm-hmm. you don't realize that at all. No, huh? and I do love it when, you know, like it does show him, you know, that he that wasn't just like a one time thing. He wasn't just like, you know, uh, you know, always, you know, scrounging and and trying to like, you know, uh, live off the system or anything like that. He really is a nice guy. Not only did he give that dime to that kid, but he gets all this money. And yeah, he does, you know, get some food and get some uh, a nice suit and all that stuff. But he still gives like a bunch of money to the Salvation Army, too. Right. Be- because I take it because um, of what he says here. Here, ma'am, you folks help me plenty of times. So he's mm-hmm. trying to, in essence, pay them back for the kindness that they showed him. So he he may be down and out, but he's not, you know, quote unquote, a bum. Mm-hmm. No, he's a really nice guy. He's just kind of down on his luck. But <laughs> I love the guy here that uh, notices that he's got some money. He looks like, you know, a, a typical uh, thug type of guy. <laughs> Uh, or, or like a, 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 a uh, not a not a navy person, but the person that's in like a merchant marine or something like that. Because mm-hmm. that hat he's got on, he's a uh-huh. a merchant sailor or something like that. He's a big thick dude in a in a t shirt, and he's got that uh, woolen like skull cap. Yeah, yeah, like he's a work a dock worker or something. Yeah, yeah, something <laughs> like that. But he goes so smiling. Sam's committed to some money. Guess I better borrow some of it. <laughs> And follows him back and you know, brutally murders him, you know, like a lead pipe or something smashes his head. Yeah. There's the there's the kid. And all of a sudden the kid, what did you do? You hurt him. He was my friend. And this creep is going to kill the kid. He says, how would you get here? What did you see? You heard me. How much did you see? And he goes, if you ever say a word of, of this all. And he he's got the pipe in his hand and he's like threatening this kid. And the kid all of a sudden goes from like quivering on the ground. And he has this really evil look on his face, and he says, you hurt my friend. And mm-hmm. he swings his balloon at the guy. And, wow, this, yeah, this uh, story takes a really, really uh, morbid, crazy horror turn here, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's not too bad here at first. I mean, he, he like, throws the, the balloon at the, the bad guy, and it, it starts to engulf him, okay? And you're like, okay, well, it's just, you know, maybe some thing uh, you don't you don't really know necessarily but then the guy really starts to freak out because he can't get away and mm-hmm. then the the balloon completely engulfs him which still <laughs> it's it's okay you know that's kind of kind of weird but okay after that is when it takes a decidedly morbid turn yeah wow yeah and i mean i love too like you said how <laughs> as the guy is getting engulfed by it his words are what are you doing, you little creep? Hey, the balloon, it's its growing. And he's like, hey, it's grabbing me. And he's like, oh, no, please get it away. And then while he's in it, he's probably not being able to breathe because he says, little kid, take it away, please. Oh, Lord. And he says, choke. And choke. I'm like, oh, can he, yeah, can he not breathe maybe? Or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But this is really, really good stuff. And like you said, that bottom one where it's a bottom <laughs> set of panels, that is awesome. That is like, that is a really good horror story. The kid has this really evil look on his face and he pulls out a pin and it says the man in the balloon continued pleading screaming babbling as the child walked slowly deliberately closer in his hand a very long very sharp pin and then there's just a panel that just says pop and then the little kid has his arms folded and he has this huge smirk on his face and it says 
After the explosion, the screaming stopped. The junkyard was again quiet. Only the little boy smiling now remained. <laughs> Dude, yeah. That's some great stuff right there. That's hardcore. Um, I wondered, too, what was the kid once again just there looking for Smiling Sam? Or did he come because something had happened to his friend? And he he felt that in, in the ether, if you will. Yeah, I'm not sure what I mean, I because, I, again, until you knew the ending when he you found out he was like a warlock or whatever. I'm just thinking to myself. He was just a kid playing around in an old junkyard, which, you know, I think we've all been there. We've all. Well, done, yeah, <laughs> especially well, uh, mostly boys have done crazy or things at like least that. wanted to. Yeah. You know, man, <laughs> I wish I could play in a junkyard. Yeah. So. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think at first I'm thinking, OK, he's just a kid playing there. But then when it gets to the end here, you're thinking, what was he doing there? Was he looking for, you know, uh, a victim, uh, an accomplice? What was he doing? Right. And, and it's. Uh, I assume because of the way it's drawn, it's at night. Right. Oh, so it's like, well, yeah. What, why is the kid in, in a junkyard at night still carrying his balloon? And, and presumably it's the same, but it's like, why? okay. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe he was, he was the, his friend's protector uh, somehow or something like that, like a, a guardian angel or something. <laughs> a guardian devil. <laughs> uh, yeah. Don't we all need one, right? <laughs> oh yeah. This, this, balloon with the pop thing is is very much like in in the specters realm of dealing with things it's it's yeah very hardcore it's great i love it it was like i said i think that ending is why i'm like oh, i think this is my favorite story of the bunch <laughs> yeah this very last story here we'll move on to this one and this one's called trick or treat now this is a super you know quick it's only a two-pager but I've seen this one somewhere else before. I'm not sure if it was reprinted, I guess, maybe somewhere else or something, because I had seen this story before. So when I saw this one, you know, pop up here when I was, uh, you know, reading the story to talk about it tonight, I'm like, oh, yeah, I've seen this one before. And this is uh, written by Jerry Conway and art by Dick Dillon. And, you know, it's funny. I look at this story and there are certain parts of it that remind me of Wrightson, especially the splash page here. I mean, I really thought it. You know, if you wouldn't have show me credits, I would have thought it was uh, Wrightson on this last page here. But uh, yeah, Trick or Treat is the name of this one. And it's a failed painter murders in order to acquire magic paint and canvas, which legend states will change your life if you complete a paint by numbers portrait. The man completes the portrait and cheerfully waits for his life to change as the ghoul with a knife raised high over its head steps out of the canvas behind him. <laughs> so pretty good one here. Like I said, it's only a two pager, but. I'll tell you what, this two-pager does a lot more for me than some 24-pagers I've read. Oh, for sure, yeah, It um, in, in just two pages. And and uh, that um, uh, synopsis you read pretty much covered everything. That's <laughs> that's pretty much what happened, yeah. I mean, it was only two pages, and so, yeah. Yeah, it looks like in the very first panel, it looks like this goon, this painter guy, murdered, like, the night watchman. And he's like, he has the... the uh, a canvas and it says mine at last the ancient magic paints and canvas the fools little did they realize what a treasure is locked up here what power and i'm thinking okay dude he takes it back there yeah i'm thinking paint by numbers man this looks like you know something from 50 years ago did they even have that back then 50 60 years I, ago I, I don't know but what well, they definitely had like connect the dots so i guess maybe you could just yeah. imagine well instead of doing that what if you painted it and so yeah i'm okay it's it's crazy though. Yeah, he paints this picture, this really ghoulish, creepy looking, almost looks like a zombie. It's like a guy, 
who almost looks like he's like he's dead, like a zombie or a ghoul or something. And he's got blue hair and a red jacket and a pinkish kind of shirt. And he's got this really funky shaped dagger in the picture. And the guy turns his back and he says, huh, now I'm, any moment now my life will be changed. And you see it creeping out like it's going to kill him. That's great. Yeah, and and what you said about being surprised it was Dick Dillon, you're right. Um, to, to me, you know, Dick Dillon is uh, a particular era of the JLA. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't look like anything I remember seeing in those books. So, yeah, it, I, I guess he, you know, because it's it's a horror story, he changed his style a little bit or, or maybe the inker colorer did as well. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's. To me, it's kind of a hidden Dick Dillon. Yeah, like I said, most of his stuff I know from uh, the Justice League work he did. He had a huge Uh run on that, and that's where I know him from, and I love his work on there. And I won't say it looks nothing like this, but his his Justice League work looks very, very different from this. Now, he did pencil and ink this himself, so maybe that's why. Could be, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, again, great stuff, and like I said, overall— this is a fantastic issue. I know, you know, obviously the Swamp Thing is the, the big draw there, but it's a really, really cool issue front to back. You know, I think there's a lot of fun in here, even with a two-pager winding up at the end here. Like, you can't go wrong with a two-pager. It's it's like, again, you get more out of this two-pager than you do out of some full comics. Did you say, um, even when we were talking offline, that you bought the Black and White Showcase Presents books that DC put out? I have a few of them, not any of these, though. Uh, I don't think I have any of the horror stuff at all. I think I have Phantom Stranger and uh, uh, a couple other ones, but not these guys. Okay, because this was reprinted in the very first House of Secrets Showcase Presents. Um, Otherwise, a a Millennium Edition, a Facsimile Edition, uh, the Bronze Age Omnibus, and then a silver age classics house of secrets 92 from uh april of 1992 those are the only places that uh, the grand comics database says that this has been reprinted well you know what maybe yeah because i did buy that uh facsimile edition from just like three or four years ago or whatever so maybe that's where i saw this one in could be yeah 2019 is when that came out so yeah that would have been or, or even more recent for you when when you finally yep. picked it up so yeah that it was reprinted as one of those Yep, that's probably it. So, all right. Well, yeah. Overall, hey, two thumbs up. Again, got to get yes. this one. And again, we like we said, there's you know, plenty of ways to get uh, the the lead story, the swamp thing story. That one's all over the place. And then you know, even this crazy story, you can find a couple of different ways. You know, like you said, the showcase, this omnibus edition, the couple other reprints, single reprints. So you can yeah, you can find this one around there. It's 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 to be had. So definitely get this one right. Right, absolutely. Even uh, setting the Swamp Thing aside, the rest of the stories will be just as entertaining uh, for their Bronze Age horrorness, if I can say that. Um, so it's definitely worth that by itself. But then, yeah, throw the Swamp Thing on it, and it's a definite, like you said, that that facsimile edition or the whatever the one earlier in the century was, the millennial edition or whatever they called that two cheap ways to get this really really cool book yeah absolutely and you know now this makes me think i wish i wish mary screens would have wrote more horror because that's a great story with the the kid in the balloon (laughs) yeah yeah she did a really good job with that for sure fantastic so all right well we're gonna wrap it up here ed so if anybody's looking for you out there where can they find you um probably the easiest way is to find me at teal productions on twitter 
Um, I'm almost always on there multiple times a day, so that would be your quickest response if you want to at me about something important. Now, if you want to at me just to be a, a butt, well, I still might not get back to you, but yeah. So. <laughs> and then definitely check out, you know, you have uh, your Dr. Fate podcast, right? And then uh, a couple other ones. Yeah, um, all of the podcasts that I do, I, I publish uh, when they come out. I'll, I'll do a little thing on Twitter so that people know that it's out there. And I, I do most of them are comic book related, Dr. Fate, uh, Marvel Thor. I do another one where I'm looking at a lot of uh, early 80s uh, black and white books. Um, I, I do another one, actually, that we're getting ready to start back up with my wife, where we look at dance competition shows like um, – Dancing with the Stars or So You Think You Can Dance. That's called Dance Fever, and Fever is spelled F-E-V-R-E. Makes it a little easier to find. Um, and so, yeah, with uh, Dancing with the Stars getting ready to start up here, I think this coming Monday, uh, we'll, we'll dust that off and, and start putting that out, just recapping the episodes and giving our thoughts and stuff like that every week. Awesome. Yeah, and then Superman, Super Show, that's another good one, too. I like listening to that one. You guys are starting – you've started at uh, – you know, Superman's first appearance and you're working your way up through the golden age, right? Yeah. Yeah. That one, we started with his very first, uh, action, uh, appearance and uh, the, the order that we're doing is in the, um, Superman golden age omnibus, I believe is what they're called. And they've put out like five or six of those. So what, whatever the order is that they have in there. Um, so yeah, the first bunch of shows were his action appearances, but then, uh, we started putting in the, the new stories from the actual Superman named book when they started it up. And I think the next time we sit down uh, will be right around like when Superman three came out, I think a couple action comics before that. And then we'll start looking at the stories that were in Superman three. So as far as uh, his, his history is that's, that's where we're at. I think we're about 20 episodes in and each episode is just one story. So like mm -hmm. in the, um, in the, the Superman named book, there are like four different stories. So each one will be its own episode it allows us to keep them pretty short and just kind of a, a get in and get out. So it's a quick listen and you can catch up pretty quickly on. Yeah. Superman from the very beginning. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And I'm really looking forward to not too far down the road because I think I have uh, the showcase volume two that starts up with some of the golden age stuff. So, okay. Yeah, when you guys get to that point where that book picks up, I can't wait because I'm going to read along. Because I love doing that with shows, you know, comic book shows I listen to. Read yeah. along. Yeah, yeah. I yep. I'm doing that actually with a show uh, that recently started up doing Batman the same way. Uh, they're oh, talking nice. about his stories in Detective. And then when it starts coming up, the stories out of his Batman named books. And they're only looking at those two books because, you know, pretty quickly you got uh, – uh, what is it? World's finest, I think, jumps in yep. there, and some. Yep. But they're just looking at Detective and Batman, like his real core stories. Um, th they're a little different. They're doing like two stories uh, per episode of the book, uh, uh, per episode of the, the show, and I think they just got into the area of like Batman Seven. I think just recently started up, which will be like Batman seven. And then a story out of detective comics, you know, I don't know, 53, 54, 55, somewhere in there. And, and they do that every week. And I've been reading along with that one. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. I like doing that. Anytime anybody's, you know, doing an index show and especially if it's about stuff I haven't read, but I love, you know, their character or have interest in, I love being able to read along with it as well. That makes it so much more fun. 
Yeah, yeah. You, it, it's definitely different when you remember reading what they're talking about. And so you have your ideas in your head and you get to listen to someone else's idea about the exact same thing. That's cool. For sure. So, all right. Well, thanks uh, for joining me once again, Ed. This was a blast. And then, uh, like I said, we're going to knock some more of these out down the road. And then uh, maybe even uh, you, I think you're going to join me eventually for another uh, Brave and the Bob as well. So looking forward to it. Absolutely. So am I. Thank you for uh, for inviting me to the show, man. I really enjoy it. You bet. And thanks again for uh, coming on. And uh, I'm going to duck out of here quick and then be back in a second to wrap things up. mess. That monster must have been here, too. What am I saying? He still is here. Boy, I hope that door holds for a while. Hey everybody, that's going to wrap up this episode. Uh, we're in the midst of the Halloween season here, so uh, get ready for a lot of content. I'm really going to try to have something special this year. Plenty of content between, you know, some comic books and movie reviews and all that kind of stuff. So really uh, tried to uh, uh, go the extra mile this year with uh, putting out some content. So I uh, hope you guys like it. And as usual, thanks for listening and definitely get out there and give Ed a follow. You know, he's a good guy and, uh, uh, does a lot of podcasting work as well some really fun stuff so uh, get out there and give it a follow all right take care everybody mm-hmm.